Obviously, we can't come up front like we normally do, but kids, is it a good two-thumbs-up day today? All right, good. All right. Direct your attention to the screen. I know it's Good Shepherd weekend, and we think of shepherds and sheep, but bear with me. Cows. Holstein cows. My father-in-law, Lawrence Yeager, raised Holstein cattle with his brother, Alban. And at one time, they probably had 250 head of Holstein cattle, not all milking cows. There were heifers and calves and so on. But one of the things that really impressed me was the fact that my father-in-law and his brother knew the cows by name. There was Elsie and Emily and Betsy and Susie and every cow had a name. <clears throat> and as the cows came in, you know, the barn for milking, you know, it was just like, you know, we pastors greeting people coming to church, you know, they'd talk to the cows. And, and one of the things that always struck me was that my, my father-in-law and his brother um, had these drawings of all the cows and they had all the markings on there. And you notice like in the big cow on the left, it's got one set of markings up on the top right, different set. Down below, it looks like somebody took a paint can with black paint and just threw it on a white cow and you know, it's kind of scattered there. But you know, these cows all had different markings and that was how my father-in-law and his brother you know, knew, knew the different cows and probably there were some shaped things that were involved, but they knew them by name. I don't know if you noticed when Pastor Sharf read the gospel reading from John chapter 10, Jesus said, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now we all know our Lord, but think of the other side where the Lord knows all of us. You know, hundred and some people here right now, but if we think about the world in which we live, maybe seven and a half billion people and, you know, there are those who estimate that maybe a third of those in the world today are Christian. The Lord knowing two and a half billion people, that's rather staggering, isn't it? You know, in many, many settings, we find ourselves being a number, a Social Security number, uh, a Medicare number, uh, a, a student number, or whatever. And we're not just numbers to the Lord. He knows each one of us individually. He not only knows our names and where we are and where we came from, he knows what we're feeling, our, our joys, our sadnesses, our strengths, our weaknesses. And of course, he, he knows our sins. We can't hide those from him. But at the same time, he knows that we're dressed in his holiness and we are sheep in his flock. He knows us each individually, specially, lovingly. That's amazing, that's special, and that's reason to thank our Lord for his love. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, our Good Shepherd. Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, our message today is based on the first reading recorded in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I think in your travels, you've all come across various signs, billboards that have advertised the, the biggest, the best, the highest, the largest, the greatest, and so on. 
And in some cases, there's truth in these claims. They are. But at other times, the, the reality falls far short of the claim. And, and if you paid money to go and see them to do something or whatever, you might have found yourself uh, being disappointed. Today, though, as we think about the Word of God in 1 John chapter 3, we think about uh, the best, the, the biggest, the largest, the greatest, because we think about God's love, the greatest love there is. And there are three things that, that John emphasizes. God's love is the greatest love because it moved him to call us his children in Christ. It moves him to glorify us like Christ. And it moves him to see us pure in Christ. And so that's what we're going to think about. God's love, the greatest love there is. When Pastor Scharf read that first reading, did you notice the word lavish? What great love, or see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Now the word lavish means to bestow something on someone very generously or extravagantly. And it's interesting that when you look at the New Testament Greek for uh, that verse, it just uses the word given. And you, know, my, you might say, well, why did the translators uh, use lavish instead of given? Well, isn't it true that when God gives his blessings to us, his people, it's just not a matter of giving where he could use a thimble or a Dixie cup. It's a matter of where he lavishes. He does it generously, extravagantly. And so God lavished his love on us that we should be called his children. Now, this takes us into the, the world of adoption because obviously we're not God's biological children. He, he, he adopted us. And, you know, when we think about the, the, the country in which we live, I don't know if you're aware of the fact that every year on the average, 135 to 140,000 children are adopted into homes where parents, you know, lovingly uh, welcome them as their children. But at the end of the adoption process, there are another 100,000 or so children who are eligible for adoption, and they're, they're waiting in foster care homes or other, other places where they're cared for. And it raises the question, you know, why weren't they adopted? Well, in some cases, it's because there aren't enough parents who want to adopt. In some cases, it's a matter of where some of these children have some very unique special needs, and not every parent who perhaps wants to adopt feels that they, they can or they're willing to, to be able to, to give and to put out what is necessary to, to care for these children. And certainly no one would ever adopt a dead baby. Now, before you cringe in horror at that thought, that's what God did with us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to Christians, and he talks about basically how they came into the world by nature, how we have come into the world by nature. And he said, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you lived when you followed the ways of the world and the spirit of the kingdom of the air who is at work in those who are disobedient. And so there... God through Paul describes, we come into the world physically alive, but we come spiritually dead. 
not able to love God, to believe in God, to live for God, to serve God, to worship God. And we're really destined for hell. But God lavished his love on us to call us his children. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. And this love, really, God showed to us before there was ever an us to be loved. Back in eternity, before the foundations of the universe and the world were laid, in love, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes, in love God predestined us to adoption of sonship through Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And so, back in eternity, God already knew us, he chose us, he predestined us to be his children. And of course, that raises all kinds of questions. Why me and why not someone else, you know? It, it wasn't anything in any of us, it was all in view of Jesus and just some things that we don't know about God. But then God, just like parents adopting children today, have to pay a lot of money when it comes to the adoption process because there's many costs involved. God paid the adoption price for us in the gift of his son. In 1 John chapter 4, John wrote, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That atoning concept is the idea of paying for and so as a result, Peter could write, you, you were bought with a price, not with gold or silver or other precious things, but with uh, the holy, innocent blood of Christ. But there was another step that was important along the way, and that was the bringing us to faith in Jesus as our Savior. And the Apostle Peter talks about that in 1 Peter 1. He talks about you know, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that new birth is the faith that we have, the being born again of water and the spirit by which God brought us into his family. And so now we are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. God sees us as his children, but John points out the world does not, and they could care less. Of course, they, you think back in Jesus' day, the majority of people with whom he came in contact didn't really look at him as the Son of God and Savior of the world, and people still do not see Jesus today that way. And John says they, they don't know us because they didn't know him. In a recent Barna Corporation survey of, of perceptions of people in America when it comes to conservative Christians, people who believe that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God, that God created the, the heavens and the earth in six days, that Jesus is the Son of God who is also true man, who lived, died, and rose again for us, who believe in miracles and the things that we believe in based on the Bible, the, the perceptions of God's people when it comes to about 50% of those who were surveyed are negative. They use words like narrow-minded, homophobic, woman-haters, hateful, uptight, 
and a whole bunch of other things. And they see nothing, nothing special in uh, us Christians. You know, and you think about some of the things we read and we hear in the media today about the attitudes of people towards church. And, and there are a lot of people that would just like to see Christianity go away. And after a while, you start to feel, well, you know, there's nothing special about being a Christian. But think of God lavishing his love on us. And when we start to feel worthless and devalued, uh, we go back to this fact that God's love for us is the greatest love that there is. And what a blessing it is that we have experienced that. But John goes on after he emphasizes that God's love is great, the greatest love there is, and that he called us his children in Christ. And he also points out that it is moving God to glorify us in Christ. And again, he emphasizes, dear friends, now we are children of God. Now you go back to John's day, which was the latter part of the, the, the first century when he's writing this. And, you know, you think of Christians being persecuted in the empire, and they certainly didn't feel like they were anything special or blessed. Or you think of how there was this movement called Gnosticism, which, you know, came up with this body of super knowledge, and those who were espousing that would look at Christians, and it was just like, you know, uh, you're gutter creatures, you know, spiritually speaking, compared to us Gnostics. And so John emphasizes, dear friends, we are now children of God. But then he goes on and he says, And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so now, now John is projecting into the future when Jesus comes at the end of time, and he's pointing out that we are going to be glorified like Christ. Right now, we have eternal life. We have eternal life in the, the faith that we have, the love we enjoy, the, the, the place that we have in the family of God. But we do not realize the fullness of blessings that come with this eternal life yet because we're sin-affected creatures li living in a sin-affected world. And we find ourselves subject to temptation because we not only have the new person within us, we have this sinful nature. We, we succumb to temptation, and in our weakness, we fall into sin, our ignorance too. Uh, we get sick. We experience pain and sorrow, and we're subject to death. But when Jesus comes again in glory, if we are alive, just like that, there is going to be a change that takes place in our body and our soul. Our, our soul no longer is going to have a sinful nature, the sinful flesh. There's no longer going to be the struggles that we go through. You know, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the, what I hate, I do, and those types of things. There's going to be just pureness, perfection. And when it comes to our bodies, they are going to be chained and, changed, and all of the effects of sin are going to be gone. The things that, that just are chronic when it comes to you and your health and your capabilities and, and things are, are, are going to be gone. 
And if we've died before Jesus comes, our soul is going to go into that, that perfection, that fullness of, of blessedness. And when Jesus comes again in glory, there's going to be the resurrection and there's going to be the glorification of the body, perfect bodies, no more effects of sin, no subject uh, like, like sickness and disability and weakness and death. Even though we have eternal life right now, we do not experience all those blessings until the Lord takes us into glory and glorifies us. And he will do that because he's a faithful Lord. But right now, if you look on the left, you have a, a, an unpolished, uncut diamond. And that's what we are. We're precious in God's sight. We're valuable. He is he has bestowed on us his love in making us his children through faith in Jesus. But when Jesus comes again in glory, we're going to be like the cut, the polished diamonds, beautiful, glorified like him. You know, the Bible talks about some of the things that <clears throat> are involved in this. You know, it talks about the absence of... of um, pain and sorrow and crying and dying. It, it talks about, you know, being in glory in terms of sitting on thrones and celebrating and, and marriage banquets and things like that. But John makes the comment in verse 2, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but when he comes, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. And so there are some unknowns. You know, we ask questions like, well, what age am I going to look like? What color is my hair going to be? Is this going to be? Is that going to be? And things like that. And it's like the Lord is telling us, don't worry about it. I've got it all taken care of, and it's going to be good. There's going to be the fullness of joy and peace and hope and contentment forevermore. But there are going to be some real pleasant surprises. It's like when Paul wrote in, in 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived the things that God has in store for those who love him. But the fact is the Lord is in his love going to glorify us in Christ so that we are like Christ. A lot of people have found a lot of comfort in this in their lives. You think of people who are disabled, people who are paralyzed, people who are paraplegics, quadriplegics, people who are at that point in life where they are bedridden, people who are in wheelchairs and walk with canes, people like you and me who wonder what next and how long is this all going to go on where it seems like you know, capabilities become less and less, and maybe certain things that we suffer from become more and more. And the Lord says, you know, there is an end to all of this, and it's going to be in glory. And so I want you to hang in there. I want you to find hope and comfort and strength in that. And as we think about this fact that the, the, the love of God, the greatest love there is that it has moved God to plan that we will be glorified like Christ. Let that be a source of peace and hope and strength and comfort. When we talk about God's love, though, the greatest love there is, 
John also emphasizes that it has moved God to see us as pure in Christ. Verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. None of us deserves to be called a child of God. None of us deserves to have eternal glory. We come into the world, like I said, with sin. We sin, and that sin moves us to fall short of the glory of God. And yet here, John is writing that those who have hope in that glory in eternity that God promises to us are pure in God's sight. Now let's just focus on that word hope for a moment. There's hope and there's hope. I hope, for example, that on Memorial Day the weather is going to be nice. Those of you who are Twins fans, you hope that this year the Twins are going to win the World Series. But do we have any guarantee that on Memorial Day it's going to be really nice? You know, in Minnesota it could snow on Memorial Day. And do you have any guarantee that the Twins are going to win the World Series? They have done it before, but will they do it this year? It's uncertain. But when it comes to eternal glory, that is certain. That is absolute. And so when John is writing that those who have hope in this, he's talking about those who have faith in this, those who have trust in this. It's not a maybe it will and maybe it won't, but it's I'm absolutely confident that this is what is going to be. And, and John writes that when we have this hope, this faith, this trust, we, we, we lean on the promises of God in his word, God looks at us as being pure. And just as Christ is pure. But there's a difference between the pureness of Christ and that which we enjoy. You know, think about the fact that when, when the Son of God came into the world and took on human nature through that miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, there was no original sin in him. He was without sin. And during his lifetime, the 33 years that he lived as our substitute and our savior, there wasn't one sinful thought, one sinful word, one sinful deed. Now contrast that with us, as we said earlier in the message, we come into the world infected with sin. And, and every day we, um, in our thoughts, our words, and our actions, never attain perfection in, in who we are and what we do, what we think, what we say. And yet God considers us pure through faith in Christ in Galatians chapter 3. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put Christ on. In other words, we wear the holiness of Christ. It's something that is transferred to us. It's given to us. It's lavished on us. But it's not something that we are by nature versus Christ. And yet, I'll, I'll take it in any way God wants to give it, won't you? And what a comfort that is. When, for example, you suddenly realize, I said something I shouldn't have. I, I've sinned against God. I've done something I shouldn't have. I said, sinned against God. I thought something I shouldn't have. I sinned against God. You can turn to God. 
And you know that he's there with the open arms like the, the parable of the prodigal son, welcoming his wayward son back. And God sees you as pure and holy in Christ. When you're going through some trial or some trouble in life, and you know, the natural inclination might be is to think that, well, God must be upset with me and maybe he's, he's He's getting even with me. Remember, he laid all your sins on Jesus. And while the Lord may be teaching, growing, or whatever he's doing with you, he sees you as pure in his sight. When perhaps you're facing death or you're thinking about standing before the eternal judge at the end of your life or the end of time, and you think about all of the sins that you have committed, and that while you were able to hide many of these things from many others in your life, you can't hide them from the Good Shepherd who is your judge. Remember, you're wearing his holiness, and he does not see you as the sinner that you are, but the saint that you have become through faith in Christ. And again, find peace and comfort and hope and strength in this because you've been the recipient of God's love the greatest love there is and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Jesus to life everlasting our stewardship thought for today is from Psalm 103 a psalm of David Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. As you live your life, live it for him. As you live your life, live it to serve him. As you live your life, live it to give to him of things that he lends to you so that you, as David says, are praising the Lord and not forgetting his benefits.